power in our salvation. And we are assured. The difference between security and assuredness is security is what you have when you believe in Jesus because God keeps you. Assuredness is what you have when you know what the Bible says about that. 1 John 5.13, as we recite every Sunday morning here in the church service, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you believe on the, may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is written for assurance so that the people in the group who believe on the name of the Son of God may know that they have eternal life and that they would be persuaded if they had not believed to believe on the name of the Son of God. We usually start our soul winning effort with an assurance question. Do you know when you die where you'll go? Do you know that you will go to heaven when you die? I pull a tract out and say we like to ask people this question. Am I going to heaven? Do you know when you die you'll go to heaven? <clears throat> they say something. They say, uh, or they say, yes, I'm going to heaven, or yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, just the other day a lady wandered into my office and I asked her that question. She said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, well, if you were going to explain to me how I might be a Christian, because that was the term that she used, what would you tell me? She said, oh, just do the best you can all your life. Just do the best you can all your life. So we went on into the presentation of the gospel, and she objected to the idea that you could believe in Jesus and live as you please. She thought that's what I was saying, and still go to heaven when you die. So I, I told her the story about Ray Stanford and how he got saved, and he was in the living room of a man named Clifton Fowler, and Fowler went through Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 with him. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Ray, in this man's living room, was smoking. There were no ashtrays around, so he's just knocking the ashes off on a man's nice carpet. And he says, you mean I can believe in Jesus and live as I please and still go to heaven when I die? And Dr. Fowler looked at him and said, son, that's a crude way to put it, but God loves you that much. Now, that's not the only way to answer that question, but it's a good one. Sin is paid for. The best sinner, sins are paid for. The worst sinner, sins are paid for. The thief on the cross that believed, his sins are paid for. The thief on the cross that didn't believe, his sins are paid for. But not everybody goes to heaven. Jesus said in John 3, 18, we know John 3, 16, in 3, 18, Jesus said, He that believeth is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, not because he's an old wicked sinner, but because he hasn't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If the thief whose destination we don't know if he was lost, it wasn't because he was a worse sinner. It wasn't because his sins weren't paid for. It was because he never believed. If he, I say if he was lost, because I don't know. The Bible only records the faith of one of them. But we don't know somebody's lost. You don't know the person with the worst gospel message in the world is lost because you don't know everything that happened when he was four years old and five years old and six years old and what he might have heard and done then. There was a, an evangelist who worked with a well-known evangelistic campaign for, for decades, led campaigns, gave the gospel publicly to thousands. But he ended his life as the head of the Atheist Society in, in Australia. 
name was Templeton. People can get messed up. People can forget. So we use the assurance question to breach the gospel with people because it's a good way to find out where they're at. If they do know they're going to heaven when they die, they'll say, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. I said, what do you have to do to get there? Believe in Jesus. What else? And if they tell you something else, well, then you got to explain it to them. I also like to ask the question, is there any, if they seem to be persuaded that they will go to heaven and it's only by believing in Jesus, I said, is there anything you could do or fail to do between now and when you die that can keep you from making it all the way to heaven? And then they say, oh, I know I'm going to heaven, but if I renounced the faith, if I went to, became a Muslim or something, then I wouldn't go to heaven. They don't understand it yet. They're still trusting in their own perseverance in good doctrine, which is, is not how you get saved. They might have been saved, but they have to, in order to pers- express the gospel clearly, a person's got to be able to say, Jesus only, Jesus only is my way to heaven. So we are not only secure because God's keeping us, but we can be assured if we believe what the Bible says about this. And that, Paul says, that is why we do not become weary or faint. I'm going to back up here just for a second. There we go. He says, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, what's that? That's the place he lives on earth, his earthly house. And that word tabernacle is the Greek word skin. It means tent. You can understand the connection between skins and tents, I think. It's pronounced skin, skenos. Um, And the difference between a house, oikos, and a skenos is one of them is more fixed and the other one's kind of temporary and can be moved around. We have an earthly house of this tabernacle, our tent that we live in. And uh, if it were dissolved, and that's a word that means comes completely apart. It's just gone. (laughs) It doesn't make a difference if you're buried and rot or if if you're cremated and turned to ashes. It just doesn't make any difference. It's going to be completely apart if you go through death's window. But he says, we know got security and assurance, we know if death takes us, we have a building, a house. That's the same word house as in the first part of the verse, oikos, means house. The word building has the word oikos in it, but it more refers to architecture, like something that's been planned and designed and has some permanence to it. We've got an architecture of God. We got a house God made. It does, it's of God, which is to say we don't do it ourselves. It's of God, meaning that's where we get it from. It's God's building. And it's not earthly. The last phrase of the verse says, in the heavens. Somebody, when I was still a teenager, said, I know I have eternal life, but how do you know it's in heaven? And I got thinking real quick, and I said, well, Jesus said when we pray, we should say, Our Father which art in heaven. And over in John chapter 14, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So where I am, you, you can be too. 
And so that answered his questions, and I remembered it because it answered a pretty good question for me too. <laughs> a house not made with hands, not man's doing, not man's doing. I think, I don't know if you know, um, I think the Spanish word for hand is manos or something like that. And it looks so much like the English word man that I think that's where the connection is. Hands are people. The person is the hand. The hand is the person. It's what the person does stuff with. I don't know. Maybe wrong about that. I didn't look it up. But uh, not made with hands means not done by people. We don't do this. Jesus said, I'm going to go and do this. I'm a carpenter. I can get it done. And it'll be ready for you. And it'll be, there's lots of room. Come on. Where I am, there you may be also. Paul said a lot in just one verse there. We've got assurance. We know. We've got security. We have a building, and it's of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have. It's another word of assurance. And I put in the notes that that word building it means a house with a roof because it's kind of put together those two two words a little more permanent made or prepared by god we're going to go over and look at those verses in john chapter 14 page 1135 in your schofield this is a favorite passage of many it, it is often part of if i do a funeral message this is part of it jesus said to the disciples who were troubled because he'd said i'm leaving and they didn't want to be without him. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You could read that. Keep on believing in God and in me. It's just another phrasing of it. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places, many apartments, if you want. He's got lots of room. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare one of those for you and for you and for you and for you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Not the, looking at any one disciple, but for you, all of you. And in verse 3, he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. This is my love promise. Where I am, there you may be also. I don't really care if it's heaven. I think it is most of the time in heaven, but I don't care. What I do care is I'm with Jesus. Where I am, there you may be also. I hope you want to be with Jesus. I don't know what it will be like to be with Jesus, but that's the promise. Where I am, there you may be also. It's made by God. Jesus said it in verse 2. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is making this place for us in heaven. It's in the heavens. And in the notes, I say it's free. It's out of this earthly world he referred to back in the beginning of the chapter. It's not the earthly house of this tabernacle. That's been all torn apart. It's in the heavens. And I like to look over at Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters in the book before concordance and maps, I guess, but... Those are not chapters in the book. Revelation 21, just skipping through a little bit here. In verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. All that trouble that Paul described in 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's gone, especially death, but yes, sorrow and crying and pain. The former things are passed away. If we just look down the page, this is page 1351, if you need the page number. In Revelation 21, verse 24, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory into it. I don't know why I had that one highlighted, but there it is. That's where the saved go. In chapter 22, just push the page number over one. In verse 3, there, I'm skipping so many good things. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Wouldn't that a, it's going to be a blessing to be considered the servants of the Lamb and serve him in heaven. Verse 4 says, they shall see his face. Oh, you remember how much Moses wanted to see the face of God, and God said, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't see my face and live. But in heaven, the servants not only shall serve him, but they'll see his face, his name shall be in their foreheads. And then verse 5, there'll be no night there, need no candle or light of the sun, the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There's a whole message in just that one verse if we wanted to take the time to develop it, but we'll leave it alone. I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 now, in the beginning of the chapter where we read. In verse 2, he's talking about his earthly house of this tabernacle. And he says, in this, we groan. We groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, this temporary place, this tent, this skin, being, we groan because we're burdened, we're pressed, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. We groan. Life here and now can be hard I sometimes feel too blessed. I don't always have ground for empathy. I'm not asking for it, you understand. I don't want to hurt more than I do. But I've been blessed a lot through my life. And good health. And then there's those things that you push out of your mind. That The daughter that took her life when she was 19 years old. and The other things that were not so pleasant. As a minister of the gospel, I've done what I think is important. I have married, besides my wife, one person. That was my other daughter. I don't think marrying people is the first calling of most ministers, but I have buried a lot of people. They were dead, so that was all right. But the funeral messages are when you can talk and people pay attention. The people that come to funerals have no way to not think about it. <laughs> and so you can share the gospel effectively there. A lot of people have been saved at funerals, and I hope you'll keep that in mind. And we're burdened on the notes on page two by the body itself, which is frail and failing because of sin in the world and because the old nature keeps rearing up its ugly head. We have a body that's busted. It was made in the image of God, and 
Adam's likeness, which includes the image of God, he passed on to his descendants, which is us. We still got the image of God, but you know, it's like that silverware in the chest that you don't use except on a special occasion. You get out the real silver, you know, that's made of either silver plate or or sterling if you're rich, and you handle it and you use it, and you, if you just put it away without cleaning it appropriately and then you get it out a month or two later, what does it look like? It's yellow and black and green and brown and black and tarnished. A fork is still a fork, a knife is still a knife, a spoon is still a spoon, but it's messed up. And we are the image of God, but boy, are we messed up, tarnished. Don't look the way we're supposed to look. We can still be used, but we're tarnished. We groan in this old body because it's busted. It's broken by sin. And when you get saved, you get a new birth. You are born into the family of God. You're still you, but you can understand the Bible and you can grow and mature and share the gospel and serve the Lord. But you're still dragging around that old man that came from Adam, that came from mom and dad. And reared his ugly head is just exactly right. There is nobody safe from that. There are some teachers out there that say you can mature so far in the Christian faith that you, you just don't have any inner trouble with the old man. If you'd like to see a liar, I'll ask for hand raise. How many of you have gotten rid of your old nature? And if anybody raises their hand, we can say, there you go, there's a liar. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. You can get more and more mature. You can choose to sin less, but you can't choose to be sinless. I just don't think it's possible. If this old house is, we have a building of God. In this we groan. Oh, it's a mess. It's a trouble. Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Paul said it, and I think it's true of most of us. We want out of here. (laughs) We pray for the rapture. Somebody said, I'm not praying for the undertaker, I'm praying for the uppertaker. But you know, people get at a certain place in, in their lives, and some people are saying, death is better, let me just go. Let me just go now. This pain is no longer worth it. I'm not getting better. I can no longer do anything of use. I think they're wrong. I think you shouldn't desire death until God gives it to you. We have a missionary named George Heckman. He married my sister. My claim to fame is I am Linda Heckman's brother. (laughs) But um, she went through college troubled by the identification as Bob Gilbert's sister. So I get the other way around now. But George's father, he led to the Lord years ago out of Roman Catholicism. And George's father's in his 90s. And he torqued his spine some years ago and can't get out of bed anymore. He's bedridden and wheelchair-bound. And he loves the Lord, and he prays, and he prays more and more and more. And his pain has subsided. His, his, his wife went through Alzheimer's and went to heaven. And so he's alone. George and Linda still go down from... Sanford, Florida, down to Miami-Dade to, to be with him most weekends. They take one weekend off a month, don't go. And his other son, Paul, is down there and some other family. But he's still useful, and you don't decide, God, I'm tired of being used, I'd rather just check out. No, you shouldn't do that. You can groan, but 
Jesus might just come and you wouldn't have to go through death. And wouldn't that be good? We don't want to be found naked. We don't want to go through death. We just, we just want to go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 25, page 1258 is where it is in the Bible. But here it is on the screen. If you look at the front of some of my Bibles, like this one, you'll find Philippians 1.21 on there. This is one of two very special verses that I found without anybody that I remember teaching them to me. That probably means I was taught many times and just didn't pay attention. But Philippians 1.21, I remember as a teenager finding this during my own private time in the Bible one morning. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I thought about that. I said, wouldn't it be great to be able to say that and not feel guilty? To say that honestly, for to me to live is Christ. To die is gain, that part's granted. When you get out of here, it's better. Heaven is not a punishment. <laughs> but for to me to live is Christ. Paul said, that's the way I consider it. If I'm alive, it's for Christ. In verse 22, he said, if I live in the flesh, if I keep on along, go here, this, and he's in prison, and it's not a nice state of Florida prison with, you know, uh, food two or three times a day and exercise and weightlifting. It's a dank, dark hole in the ground. The toilet is the floor. The water supply is whatever they think to lower down to you. Or maybe nothing, unless your family comes by and brings you something. Food was only there if you had friends that would bring you food. This is the fruit of my labor. I'm in a mess. And in his mess, he wrote Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians. Was it worthwhile for us that he went through what he went through? What I shall choose, I wot not. I'm just not sure what I'm going to choose because it's hard. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. And then he sighs, I think. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So you guys in Philippi, you... You need this. i got to write a letter to you. Colossians need a letter. The Ephesians need a letter. These jailers, do you know that they change the guards? And I get to talk to fresh, I mean, not fresh meat, but new, new blood. Every, every little bit, I get to talk to another jailer. And some of them have come back and said they've shared the gospel with the other ones around. It's Caesar's household, and it's more needful for you. I'd rather be free and share the gospel freely. Verse 25, having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. You need me, I need to stay. Back in, in uh, Corinthians again, 2 Corinthians, he says, I want to be clothed upon with the house that's from heaven. Jesus said he was building it, making it ready, I want the rapture, not unclothed, but clothed upon. The note says, Paul and we all, seeing the preferability of going without passing through death, 
the way Enoch did and the way Elijah did. Just God said to Enoch, son, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And they did. The only one before the flood that didn't live to about 900 years or a long time. Because God said, you're done. I like you. Let's come on home. He walked with God and God took him. And Elijah, the, his replacement was in place. He was tired. He was old. He said, All right, if you see me, Elisha, if you see me when I leave you, well, then you'll have the answer to your prayer. <coughs> and he was caught up in a chariot of fire. And Elisha saw him. And Elijah's overcoat, his cloak fell down. And Elisha picked it up. And he's got to get back across this river. And the only way they got across the river the first time was Elijah opened the water up. And he went over to that river and he shook out that cloak. And he says, where's the God of Elijah? And the waters moved on back. And that was just the beginning of Elisha's double portion of Elijah's spirit. But he went to, Elijah went on to heaven without going through death. Moses had an odd death. We're going to see Moses and Elijah again on the Mount of Transfiguration in front of Jesus and Peter and James and John before Jesus died, talking about the death that Jesus was soon to accomplish in Jerusalem. And in my opinion, we see Moses and Elijah again active on the earth in the first part of the tribulation, the seven years of the time of Jacob's trouble doing those same miracles again to demonstrate the power of the true God in the face of the Antichrist. We want to be clothed upon. We don't want to be found naked. Those who are alive and remain when he comes will drop this old body and be clothed upon with the new eternal from heaven body, our house which is from heaven. And also the dead in Christ, with him already in soul and spirit. You know, when somebody dies now, they don't have to wait for us. They go to be with the Lord. Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But they don't have their eternal body yet. They wait for the rapture for that. It says the dead in Christ rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 49 to 54, uh, it's page 1227, way at the end of the chapter. And at the beginning of this passage, all about the resurrection, Paul says to the Corinthians still, as we have borne the image of the earthly, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We're going to be in our resurrection the untarnished, unspoiled image of Jesus, the second man. And then verse 50, he says, This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. You're going to leave that old mess behind. Here he says, here it is, verse 51, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not everybody's going to go through death's door. But all of us, whether you're already dead or whether you're alive when Jesus comes back, we shall all be changed. A change. What change is this? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Those people that are gone to be with Jesus get a new body that can't be corrupted. 
And we, taking the position of those that are alive and remain, we, Paul says, shall be changed. This corruptible, this old earthly mess, must put on incorruption, can't be corrupted. This mortal, which is subject to death, must put on immortality. Once we do that, we don't have death anymore, as we read in Revelation. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This is a part of a funeral message as well. Do you not see it's so much better to be with the Lord? It's so much better to be with the Lord. You wouldn't, I, I think when Jesus wept just before he raised Lazarus back to life from the grave, I think one of the biggest reasons he wept is because Lazarus has already gone through that door. Suffered the trouble of getting from this old into his new. And he's going to have to do it again. Jesus is mad about death. Death was never part of the plan of God. But we all go through it unless we come to the rapture alive. Look at, for, the notes are wrong right here, by the way. That's supposed to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, not 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That should be where we look next. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Very familiar, but so, so precious. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. They're dead. Don't sorrow. You sorrow not even as others which have no hope. This page 12, I can't read, 1219 maybe. I can't read my note. Concerning them which are asleep, don't sorrow. Don't be like the people that have no hope. When my daughter took her life, we had two funerals to go to. Her boyfriend killed himself the same day. We went to his Roman Catholic funeral. They don't have any hope in the Roman Catholic religion for a suicide. And there was no grace, and there was no hope. There was nothing but darkness and gloom. And then we went to my daughter's funeral. And it wasn't like we were the happiest time of our life, but we were able to say, look, this is what she wrote about being sure of going to heaven. This is where she wrote about her mama leading her to faith in Jesus. And the pastor who preached the message, I, I testified a little bit, but he, he said it's never right for a child to be buried by their parents. That's the wrong order of things, and this is wrong. But if you ever want to see Beth again, you need to believe in Jesus. And if you want to make Mr. and Mrs. Gilbert's day when this is over with, you go up to them and take their hand and say, I believe in Jesus, I, I, I believe like Beth does. And a dozen or 15 or more people took our hands that day and said they believed in Jesus. People that would never come to a church service. But came to her funeral. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You know the truth of it is he did die and rise again. If you believe it, you get the benefit of that. The truth of it is that he did. So them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. If they've died before the rapture, Jesus comes back and look, he's not alone. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord that, they which are, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, Paul was ever hopeful of the rapture, shall not prevent them which are asleep. We're not going to go in front of them, they're already with him. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ 
their soul and spirit's already with them, but their bodies get up. The dead in Christ rise first. You said their bodies are all dissolved. They get it together again. I don't know how to explain that, except God can do it if he wants to. He's going to give a new body, not from Adam, and it'll be without sin. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's my favorite promise again. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to finish up today back at chapter 14 of John because I'm running out of clock here. This, again, is where we were before. John 14, Jesus' promise, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He didn't say, quit your sinning, turn from your sin, then believe and serve and let me be the Lord. He didn't say any of those things that people throw in there. He said, you believe, believe. Believe, there's the condition, believe in me. And he says the promise, my father's house. i got so many places in it. I'm going to go prepare one just for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. And he says, you know where I'm going and you know the way. And Thomas pipes up and says, I don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And he says, listen up, Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Were you not listening these last three years, Thomas? If you'd known me, you'd know my Father also. And you do know him. And you've seen him, because all they've seen is Jesus. And they said, oh, come on. Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus said, you've not been paying attention, Philip? Have I not? Have I been so long time with you, and you haven't known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believe. Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the Father in me? Just believe it. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Turn from your... No, he doesn't say that, does he? John 14, 11. Believe me. I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the very work's sake. What do you think he wanted them to do? I think he wanted them to believe. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, he that believeth in me. In chapter 6, he said, hath everlasting life, hath eternal life. That's it. He that believeth in me. We're going to have to quit there at the end of verse 4. I'll just put a note and a mark and pick it up next Sunday. Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we see over and over again in Paul and in John and from the mouth of Jesus himself that people who have not believed in him need to believe in him. Everybody's sin paid for. But those who fail to believe in Jesus don't have the gift of salvation, don't have the gift of his righteousness put to their account, don't have the gift of eternal life. They don't believe they're condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, thank you for being so plain and clear and simple in your word. We pray if anyone here is or out on the internet is listening to these words and looks back in their life and says, I've, I've been religious a long time, but I don't remember ever getting this point that it's just by believing in Jesus and nothing of me, no more, no, no trying, no keeping on, no giving myself to God, but just believing in Jesus, then I receive the promise of eternal life. 
I know he died for me, he rose again. Lord, right now I believe Jesus did that for me. I do believe. You've never believed in Jesus before. He's knocking at you. He's coming at you. He wants you to believe in him. Father, help those who are hearing, some of them perhaps, to believe in Jesus right this very moment. And then they could not only be sure, safe, but they can be sure. They're safe because when they believe, Jesus has them and he won't let them go. And they can be sure because the Bible is so plain about that assurance. Thank you for this time we have to study together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless. We'll see you in church.